God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey everyone, this is Jason. I just want to come on and say a quick word of thanks to the following people. Angie Hornbuckle, Bo Hoffman, Bill Carr, Bruce Porter, Seth Price, Danielle Nagel, Eric Howell, Glenn Seipert, Joshua Lawson, Kaylin D'Elia, Carrie Pruitt, Kim Johnson, Kyle Butler, Steve Austin, Tiffany Wright, Tim Nixon, William Alomar. These are our superstar patrons over on Patreon that help make this podcast happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We could not do what we do without you. You help us pay the bills, keep all the expenses covered to keep this podcast going, and you help uh, me dedicate time towards writing and being a creative force. So thank you so much for allowing me to do what I do. I couldn't do it without you. If you have not become a patron yet on Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes and sign up today. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month and you get some perks in exchange for your support. Thank you so much. Now on to this week's episode. My guest today is Bob Hutchins. Bob has strategically guided online campaigns for countless movie, books, music releases, and events, including Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, Chronicles of Narnia, Soul Surfer, and Blue Light Jazz. As a marketing expert, author, and cultural interpreter, Bob is uniquely positioned to help brands understand how to communicate digitally in a style that is human and relatable. He's the author of three books, The Recommendation Age, Faith-Based Marketing, and his most recent book, Finally Human, explores ways brands can use technology and social media to communicate in styles that are human, impactful, and restorative. Bob's client partner roster includes Time Life, Sony Pictures, General Motors, 20th Century Fox, Disney, Warner Brothers, Thomas Nelson Publishers, and Zondervan. He's been featured on Fox News, MSNBC, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Fortune Magazine, Marketing Vox, American City Business Journals, Dallas Morning News, and various television and radio media outlets. He is a frequent blog contributor at Social Media Today, Business to Community, and Digital Journal, and an adjunct professor of social media marketing to MBA students at Belmont University in Nashville. He's an ordained Baptist minister and is the host and creator of one of my favorite podcasts, Rumors of Grace. Bob, welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Thanks, Jason. It, it's honestly an honor to, to be talking with you. Well, I feel the same with you. And uh, I had the great privilege of being on Rumors of Grace recently and just loved it. And I just find you one of the most engaging hosts in the genre. And I'm so grateful for your work on that podcast. And I'm grateful that you're here with me today. But let's start off by talking about you uh, just as an individual. Who is the man behind the microphone? Who is Bob Hutchins? <laughs> Well, uh, the gosh, that, that, isn't that the meaning of life? Who are we? Um, <laughs> it's a deep question for yeah, a 45 minute exactly. podcast. Isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Well, I was, was born in Panama in the, in Central America. My dad worked for the government. So we moved around a lot, have lived all over the world, including Puerto Rico, Miami, been living outside of Nashville with my wife and family now for about 20 years. And my I guess to put it in a nutshell, because I know we're, we have a limited time here, is I started out, uh, grew up in a, in a pretty evangelical Christian home pretty early on in life, probably mid to late teens, 
really felt like I would go into full-time ministry, went to Bible college there in Miami, was ordained, and really was on the trajectory to do that. Uh, Probably was married shortly after that, probably a couple of years into my marriage. We were working uh, with various ministries, both local and national, and doing a lot of teaching in churches and things that you do uh, when you're on that trajectory. I, I discovered that I had a real knack, Jason, for business, entrepreneurship, and really wanted to find a way to marry those two. I was dish, uh, additionally, I, I I tend to lean in the creative camp as well. Try to try to use both sides of my brain as much as I can. And my wife and I were involved. We had a music band, and we were doing some recording. And landed in Nashville after the birth of my second child, my daughter, right about the same time. And I have three kids. And um, we're doing some music things. I was doing some business things. And make a long story short, about about 19 years ago, around the turn of the new millennium, around 2000, 2001, I founded a company called Buzzplant, and it was a digital marketing agency, really kind of early on in that space, that uh, was focusing on kind of marrying my two passions, which was faith and ministry and business and entrepreneurship, and really was an early player in the digital marketing arena and would take on clients in the faith-based kind of media sectors. And that would be music, films and movies, books, uh, working with publishers and everything that that consists of the business landscape of Nashville at the time and still does to a certain degree. And really played in that space for for about 17 years before I closed down my business back in uh, 2017. Let's back up for just a minute because faith has been such a part of your career. Can we talk about how your faith journey began? Sure. Sure. I was born into a home, very loving parents that were brought up in the Deep South, in the Bible Belt, who turned to faith, I think, fairly early in their lives, but then had kind of a resurgence or a rededication shortly before I was born. I have an older sister uh, and a younger sister, so I was a middle child, only son. And around that time, uh, they were living uh, in Panama. Like I said, I was born down there. And we're involved in a very conservative Baptist church. And so my upbringing was pretty conservative and evangelical. I wouldn't say it was fundamental. Uh, Southern Baptist throughout the 80s and 90s, uh, 70s, late 70s, uh, throughout the 80s and 90s in America wouldn't be what you would call fundamentalist, but it would be very, very conservative. And so that was my upbringing. I was at church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And most of my early upbringing was in Alabama and Miami, where I grew up in my formative years. And so that really, what what was unique about my situation is since I did have the good fortune of growing up all over the world, like I said, Alabama, Puerto Rico, Panama, Miami, and traveled quite a bit, the fortunate thing about that is in the context of faith, you got to see a, a lot I guess you would call it a bigger ecumenical view, although we were pretty closed in our Baptist, Southern Baptist kind of box. At the same time, when you live in a big city like a Miami or Los Angeles or New York, it's less cultural faith like it might be, say, in the Midwest or in the Bible Belt. And it's a lot more very black and white as far as 
who's a person of faith or who's a Christian or who believes in Jesus or who believes certain things about the Bible and who doesn't. So the benefit of all that was that I got to, it was no big deal for the Presbyterians and the Baptists and the Catholics and the Charismatics to intersect on different things and cooperate in different ways in a place like Miami, which that's, that, that, that's not always the case in other places. And so that allowed me to have somewhat a, of a curious uh, mind about faith. Even when I was young, I feel like I was pretty deep into the uh, evangelical belief systems uh, and was very certain about certain doctrines and things like that, like, like a lot of, lot of us are at that time. But I also, as I look back, always had a level of curiosity and questioned a lot of the absolutes that I might have been, been taught in my church because I was surrounded by other people who were, you know, may have leaned more, may have been Catholic, may have been charismatic, may have been, you know, Presbyterian, may have been some other form or stream of Christianity that did things a little different. So in that sense, that was real formative for me. Do you feel like you actually went through like a deconstruction process or were these just questions that arose that were dismissed at some point? You know, I, I think I think as I look back on my own life that you, you go through phases, you go through uh, windows of your life. And, and let me say it like this. I was brought up in a home and was fortunate enough to have loving parents and got married, had a had a, a fairly successful career, and never really had to face or deal with a lot of pain or struggle or any of that. I was very fortunate on that level. But, you know, in the recent past, I would say as, as, as near as just a couple of years ago, uh, I have been through some of those struggles closing down a business, going through some emotional things and psychological issues that, that, that surround that. And you do wake up from events that, that have been very painful like that uh, or struggles in your life. And many times it does cause you to go through a reevaluating, an awakening, a deconstruction, whatever you want to call it. And that's kind of, you know, to answer your question, that's what brought me to kind of our connection, my podcast and other things is kind of reevaluating a lot of those things and looking at my kind of perspective, my box that I was living in and the certainty that I was so sure of was absolute truth and correctness. And that's, that is certainly evolving and changing, I would say, in just in the past few years. So how has your faith changed over those years? Uh, you talked about a, a conservative evangelical upbringing. Uh, how is that different from where you are today? Well, like you, uh, Jason, I think you get to the point in your life where something is a catalyst for you saying, out of all the, the 30,000 Christian denominations in the world, do I really believe I'm that arrogant to think that I've got it exactly right? And what I believe about the creator and the divinity and the universe all of these things that I am I that arrogant to think my version, uh, because I was born uh, into a family that happened to be Christian, that that logic should carry through to absolute truth. And I began to question those things. I be, and, and also some of the things that I was going through personally, Jason, to say, well, 
this hasn't worked real well. What I built my foundation on has crumbled. And not that not that you blame anything, but you begin to see my perspective of what I held as truth does not hold up to be truth all the time. And I began opening up, you know, to the reality of of other types of faith, other people in other places, other places doing doing faith differently. And I just had my own personal awakening to see that there is a oneness in all things. And there is a God who is completely loving. And there is a God who is completely forgiving. And if I believe those things, which I've always claimed, then there is some cognitive dissonance in my belief system and specifically in what I understood to be evangelical doctrine and, and Christian doctrine that don't line up with that. And those are the cognitive dissonances that I could no longer claim to believe 100%. And those are the things that people call deconstruction and reconstruction and remodeling or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Renovation of the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know you've been through the same thing. As I interviewed you on my podcast, Jason, I was sitting there going, yeah, here's my brother from another mother. That's exactly how I felt too. Now, I know that that process, as it works its way through our life and our spirit, that can have some pretty devastating consequences or uh, effects uh, on us personally. How has your changing faith impacted you and your family? Well, I think we all progress and we evolve in, in the journey of life and we go down the path at different speeds and in different ways. Everybody's path is different. So, you know, I can't expect, nor should I, that anyone in my family or my wife or my kids or anyone like that be on the exact same path. I used to believe, and again, here's an error that I believe is, is, is devastating to relationships and other things, that we, we use the term equally yoked and on the same page and of the same mind. You know, all these kind of buzzwords that we used in evangelicalism that basically meant we believe absolutely the same thing, and if we don't, then we're unequally yoked, or you know, one person's off, gonna is off, is backsliding, or somebody's off the deep end, or they need church discipline, or any of that. And and none of that language is used in my marriage or relationship, by the way. So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying right. is, what I'm saying is that that can be a false reality. That when someone something like this does happen, that you're left going, oh. It's okay to believe differently. It, it's really okay to be at different places. And that's, that's beautiful. That's complementarian. That's the true meaning of complementarian. Um, all of the things that you're told, you know, you can't do, you realize, you know, maybe there's a deeper love that's not based on agreeing on the same doctrinal stance of theology and ways of interpreting scripture, which I think is pretty shallow. Because what it, what it means is that your relationship and your love and your respect for that other person is built on something um, that upholds you that, that is greater than your love for each other. And to me, that's, that can be very destructive. Uh, and I think it's why you see so many people, marriage is not surviving when people uh, go through things like this. So yes, it is painful. Sometimes it can be very lonely. And I, you and I joked about 
you know, we've started podcasts for our own therapy <laughs> so that we can reach out into the right. uh, universe and find other people who are out there that go through the same thing and we can talk for an hour. Uh, and quite honestly, that's why I started my podcast was that sense of uh, I needed to find people to talk to. I wanted to remind myself that I wasn't going crazy, all of those things. But yeah, it, it, I believe there is a reality of the stages of grief that you've got to give yourself grace and allow yourself to grieve the death of a worldview that you have, that was so important to you that it's a piece of you that dies so that something new can come alive and grow even and, and flourish even more. But, you know, if you don't realize that, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's almost like the death of God because the God that you believed in, that you said you were so certain about begins to grow and evolve and say, oh, maybe he's bigger and more de and, and more loving and more kind than I ever imagined. And that version of him that I believed in uh, I've got to move beyond that. And there's a grieving in that because uh, it is your whole world and your whole construct that you see life through. You attended Bible college and planned to go into vo vocational ministry, as you said at one point. What initially led you down that path? And where did that path begin to curve in a new direction? You know, Jason, I think, uh, I believe you've been to Bible college as well. And, and so I, I think when you're young, there is a trajectory specifically in certain sects of Christianity that say, if you feel called to a life of vocational uh, ministry where you do this 24-7 or, you know, 40 hours a week, then there's basically only a couple of paths for you. That's for you to go to Bible college and seminary, get ordained, and start on the track of being a pastor at a local church. And then maybe there's one or two other paths of, well, maybe you can go get your degree in Christian counseling and do that or, or something like that. But for the most part, that's what you're told and expected to do. So I did what I was expected to do because I love to study. I love my faith. I loved to read and teach. I had a gift of, of teaching. I would teach Bible studies. And so, wow, well, if I want to do this, well, I'm certainly better go start with Bible college and, and go that route. So it was really more of not because I, I'm not a great student when it comes to sitting in a classroom. Um, I'm an experiential learner. I love to read. I love to explore. I love to learn. But to get me to sit still... Uh, I'm an Enneagram seven, if that makes any, any, any sense. So, uh, so to sit in a classroom for eight hours a day in a college, that that's not the best environment. However, I did it, made it through barely. And, um, that, that was why I did that. So, you know, out of that was a really good foundation in understanding the Bible and understanding faith and different faiths and certainly from an evangelical perspective. But the second part of your question was, did that, how did that affect my journey? Or What led you down that path towards ministry? And then when did that path begin to curve in a different direction? You talked about merging of your passion for ministry and seeing, seeing people made whole with your business acumen and your desire to be a part of that kind of career. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I did do full-time ministry for a few years. I worked with uh, Youth for Christ, then I worked with the counseling and radio ministry out of Dallas. And, you know, while I was there, I always had a side gig going of 
you know, building and selling computers or, you know, I was really good at business and it, it just scratched an itch that I had. And again, you know, back then when you're going into ministry full time, you don't, you aren't really allowed to have quote secular interests. But then I began to realize pretty quickly, you know what? I, I don't have to just do things one way. And so I started getting more and more to the business side. And I was like, I'm going to jump full head, full force into this. And I would always try to marry those two worlds together. And so I found myself, you know, really drawn to that and doing that more and more and more and less of, quote, full-time ministry. And the money was a lot better, which was important. I had a growing family. And so I got to the point where I started, I started my agency like I said, and I began working with a lot of faith-based, quote, faith-based organizations and ministries and, and films that were reaching that. And I wrote a book on it back in 2009 called Faith-Based Marketing and just really went wholeheartedly into that and became known as kind of the, the faith-based marketing guy. If you wanted to do digital marketing to, the, to Christians in America, Bob was the guy to call, right? So the problem with that, Jason, is you begin to commoditize and work on projects that you're not really passionate about, but here you've got somebody, but you've got someone who really believes in the message that they're selling. And I got to tell you, I could tell you some funny stories of things that I've marketed over the years, but it was all in this package of like, uh, we've got this truth that we've got to impact culture with. And if we don't, then, you know, no one's going to do it. So, you know, we're going to, you know, reach the world. But in a nut, but really, to be honest, what it was is you just preach to the choir and you get the church to come out and support it. So all these, quote, Christian films, there's very few, quote, people that are outside the church that really care anything about it, first of all. And second of all, really go and, and support it with the exception of, of maybe the Passion of the Christ or the Chronicles of Narnia. And so I would spend, uh, we spent our days working on projects that were a lot of fun, but I just got to the point in my career where I woke up and I said, I'm working on things I don't love, you know, try, hawking God. And I became very cynical, quite honestly. It was great. I loved the creativity about it. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to go work with, with non-Christians and, began to diversify and, and had, you know, a, a pretty good client base that was pretty mixed. But it was an interesting time to, to be in that field and, and to be in those circles. But as you can imagine, that, that kind of mixture of, of faith-based marketing was, could be pretty interesting at times. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like the folks, any of the folks that you were working with were seeking to just exploit faith for the sake of selling their wares? Here's the funny thing about it. To answer your question, yes. I mean, that does go on. I think you get sucked into a reality where you don't even, those lines become so blurred that I would sit in meetings sometimes and I would get sucked into this too, is that you really, really believe you are doing something for the kingdom of God. Those are the terms that people would use. And so you would be sitting there across the you know, the table from a multimillionaire who happened to be a person of faith, who was funding a project or had a vision. But you soon realize that it's less about 
other people and the kingdom of God quote, and it's really more about this person's own vision and interpretation and goal of whatever it may be. And, and so to answer your question, I think it's less about people going, I'm going to make money off of Christians. And it's more about people being self-deceived and believing their own press that, you know, for instance, in the film world, it was, it would be continually Hollywood is evil and we're going to take it, take it back from God. And we're going to make, you know, we're going to show them because we're going to have a great opening weekend. If we can make X amount of millions of dollars, they'll see that God's message is the way to go, right? And the problem is you just get a lot of bad movies and a lot of bad art, a lot of bad acting supported by a bunch of Christians who are trying to make a statement. And so the art and the message and the writing and the acting all take second seat to the message, that the cause that you're trying to get across. And it becomes cause marketing versus just marketing or marketing art or marketing good film or marketing good writing or marketing good cultural uh, experiences. And it all becomes a cause that you're trying to push. And uh, you begin to get sucked into that. And before you know it, you pump out three or four films and a whole book series and all of this. And it really has no impact on culture other than to go deep into Christians pocketbooks that they support because they feel guilty that they're not supporting, you know, cultural impact of taking back Hollywood or changing culture, et cetera. So not to go too deep into that, but I think you get where I'm going. I do for sure. You were, uh, you were talking about cynicism earlier. Mm-hmm. Was there a point when the cynicism kind of became unmanageable? You seem like such a, I don't know another word, so I'm just going to break one apart. Graceful guy. Usually that comes through great pain and and sensitivity. Hmm. There's a kindness. There's a um, sensitivity about your podcast. There's a a sensitivity about your questions that seems like it comes through great pain. Did your cynicism lead you to a better place or, or, or did it just blow up in your face? Yeah, it blew up in my face, quite honestly. Um, I, I think, you know, a few years ago when I closed my agency, I was just not in a good place. Can we talk about what led to that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, as an Enneagram 7, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So self-awareness is, is so powerful. And one of our greatest, our greatest weaknesses as, as sevens, it, it, those of you know what we're talking about, the Enneagram, it's a personality kind of uh, based on nine numbers, each of us are have a dominant number and mine is a seven. And so I'm always, I'm a really good visionary. I can lead, I can, I can, I don't have a problem presenting, getting in front of people. I can be creative, but I'm also, I'm a race, I'm a, I'm a quick race horse, not a long distance horse, running horse, right? So with that in mind, I kept a business going much longer than I should have. And when it was time to close it or to deal with difficult issues as a seven, we don't deal with pain and difficult issues really well. So I began to, you know, hide that, not deal with it and and just really suffered from a lot of, uh, kept, kept a lot of that from my family, from my wife. And as a result, just had a bad financial crash, emotional crash and others brought a lot of pain to my family, brought a lot of pain to me. And through that, uh, through a lot of counseling and, and, and self, like I said, searching, soul searching and reading, 
you kind of come out of that tomb with a different perspective and like you're awakened to a lot of different ways that you look at life. And so any grace or love that you hear or sense is certainly there from that. Uh, I think it's something I've learned from my life, from my wife, especially. She's a very loving and kind person. So after 30 years of marriage, that's certainly worn off a little bit, hopefully. I'm not like that all the time. I can be very cynical. I can be very unforgiving and unloving. However, one of the things in my changing of thinking that that has really started to revolutionize and change my my life and existence is realizing, you know what? I'm not a worm and I don't have I'm not born evil and there is goodness in me. I think there's goodness in every human being. And like uh, I believe Richard Rohr is the one that said, why do we Protestants always start with uh, Genesis chapter three with the fall rather than uh, Genesis chapter one, where, you know, God says nothing but good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. And he said, it's blessed. But we ignore all that and say, ah, no, we're, we, we're evil. And if there's anything good that's in us, it comes out, it comes from Jesus. And, you know, that, to me, is another very damaging psychological thing that, you know, you kind of stunt your own responsibility in life. Anything that's going to happen, your provision, your your life, your goodness, your love, all comes from a source outside of you. So it's almost like a babysitting God taking care of you and, you know, you don't mature. You just kind of like, oh, I'm going to depend on God for this. I'm going to wear where that those that type of thing for me, and I'm just talking for me, not for other people. I'm coming alive now to the awareness that I can be loving and kind. Uh, that's a choice I make every day, and I do recognize that 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 is come from the divinity and the image bearer that every human being comes from, and we all have it. And so I appreciate the the compliment, but it is refined by fire, and hopefully it, it continues to be. We were joking before we went on the air about how our podcasts have basically become therapy sessions for ourselves. So I'm just going to dive into the therapy I need from you today. <laughs> As you were talking about closing down your agency, it really kind of brought some things to the surface for me. You know, I've, I've recently gone through um, the closing of the Hope Center, which I really thought would be my life's work feeding hungry people in, in this one community that I was just in love with. What did you learn from the death of your dream? Gosh, there's so many, Jason, and, and, and daily. I don't know about you, but I, one thing I learned is surround yourself with people that you can trust with your deepest, innermost secrets and your concerns and your compassion, your passions around this, whatever it might be, your business, your ministry, etc. And don't be afraid to share those. Uh, ultimately, your your spouse or your partner should be your number one, but don't. I have a tendency to isolate. Uh, I think isolation is the biggest downfall, especially as men, that we have is to try to take that on. So don't isolate. The other thing I would say is I labored for so long under the false belief that it was my responsibility to take care of certain people. And that's really a sick way to live. It's kind of a messiah complex uh, that, uh, you know, if I don't do this and keep this alive, all these people are going to suffer. And while there is some some truth to that, uh, what I discovered was 
my staff and employees, they all went on to bigger and better things fairly quickly, most of them. And it was never really my job to take care of them. Again, getting back to this personal responsibility thing. So I think letting that go. I think the other thing and the biggest thing is really, really being honest about what's your gifts and what are your skills and what are you hardwired to do that you're really, really good at and operate in those lanes. Don't be afraid to explore and go outside of that, but don't try to be something that you're not and really, really follow your passions and your dreams of, of what turns you on and what you're passionate about and what you're really good about, good at and where you want to make a difference. Those are just some high level things that I think, again, as entrepreneurs, as business people, or, or you in your case, where you, you had a, anybody with a dream that's, that's, that is struggling through it or dying or, or dead. And, and I think also is get yourself a really good counselor and a therapist. And I don't care if you feel as healthy as, as anything, or if you're in the best spot that you think you can be in life. Get yourself a therapist. It's money well spent and just become self-aware. The biggest thing I've learned through this is that we see the world, Jason, through certain glasses and we interpret life. We interpret relationships. We interpret experiences. And we just assume automatically as humans that everyone else sees and interprets things the exact same way. And the exact opposite is true. I don't see things exactly the same way as my wife or my kids or my friends. And I'm, I hear the exact, we both hear the exact same things, but we interpret them very differently. And that's one of the biggest things that I'm learning is in this faith journey and this remodeling of, of that is I had assumptions that this is the way everyone believed in the evangelical world and the conservative Christian world. And therefore, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And the more and more what I'm learning through compassion and grace is that maybe they didn't ever see things the same way I did. They can't, they couldn't have because I'm unique and I have my own experiences, my own hardwiring and my own uniquenesses. The more that I talk to people and and talk to uh, close friends and family and it's like, Bob, you really believe that? I, I never believe that. And so on any Sunday morning across churches in this country and the world, I think, we assume that we're all seeing things through the same glasses and interpreting and, and, and are addicted to the same types of certainty about life. I think we'd be surprised that so many of us are seeing, hearing, believing in totally different things. And if we can, if we can remember that when we engage with people, that when I talk to you about being brought up as an evangelical, there's a lot of things that you and I have in common that we would agree on that, yeah, that's the way it is, or that's the way it was. And that's the way I saw things. But I'd be willing to bet if we dug deep and spent more time with each other, we'd find out that we had very, very different views of things. And that's really where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get away from swinging from one type of fundamentalism to just the opposite side. And it's fundamentalism and it's both ugly when I call a person, look at a person and I I dislike them and I'm cynical and I don't want to have anything to do with whatever it may be, their politics or their version of faith. I don't want to be that person. I want to be a person who is thankful for where I came from, but is willing to move on you know, part of this deconstruction thing is it's not, a, it's not annihilation. When you deconstruct something, you take it all apart and you use the same pieces to build something better. 
and hopefully stronger and bigger and more inclusive and become a more loving person. But they're still based on a lot of the same pieces. And that's what I've got to keep reminding is, I don't know, remember who said it, but you transcend and you include. You don't transcend and exclude, but you transcend and include. So hopefully we're growing on our journey and we're thankful for where we come, but we're also expanding and, and growing and hopefully evolving into the depths and the width and the height of this love. I, again, I, I always quote Richard Rohr, a lot of us do, but he says that God is both unknowable, but also infinitely knowable. That's what I'm trying to lean into is I did know God, but now I am going to know him deeper and wider and we will be knowing him or her or it into eternity and in forever. It, the depths of that is 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 eternally knowable. So I don't know if that answered your question or that helped where you are. It did. Yeah, that's beautiful. Let's talk about your podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, Rumors of Grace is such a perfect name for a podcast centered on faith. Where did that name come from and what made you take the jump and launch a podcast? Well, honestly, it's what I it's what I said earlier, Jason. It's it's a little selfish in that I want to talk to people. I want to find out. I want to pick their brains for my own kind of sanity and understanding and, and counseling. You know, I've always been a communicator. I've always spoken in front of people. I've written, I've taught at the college level sometimes. I love to communicate, but I felt like this whole podcast platform was a way to kind of even the field, you know, it, it levels the playing field. No one is coming at it from no one can tell me what I have to say, what I can't say. No one's paying for it, but me, no one, you know, there's no breaks. And I think to, in today's society, the reason that podcasting is growing in popularity is because we're really tired of these little sound bites that you hear on news and you see, or even in churches or anywhere you go, everybody's defined by either a 30 second quote or a five minute quote, whatever it may be. And there's no way that you can get to the depths of understanding someone on any deep level in such a short period of time. And so podcasts afford people the opportunity to say, you know, I read this in your book, but I really want to know what you're saying. And let's unpack this topic and let's talk for an hour about it. I think that's what is attractive to me about podcasting. And as far as the name I can't tell you necessarily where I came up with. That. I just thought of it one day. And, you know, when you think of the term rumor, it's a report of, of an event or a topic that has, but it's of questionable truth. And I think when we think about the love of a, of a divinity that loves us completely and loves everyone and is, in, is that inclusive, then you begin to say, well, the rumor then is, and the whispers you hear, well, then maybe he loves everyone and maybe other, other religions will be in heaven. And maybe, maybe you start going down these trails of infinite love and you have to unpack a lot of things in conservative Christianity that reek of exclusion and that's where rumors of grace came in. It's like, I want to talk to people who have found 
love and grace and mercy and growth and transformation in very unique places and sources, and specifically pain and struggle. Uh, that's what most interests me is to talk to people about their journeys. And inevitably, uh, you know, eight to nine times out of 10, it comes from a, pace, a place of, of pain or struggle. So that that's really what most interests me the most is to talking to people like that who have been on this unraveling because of their their life, not in spite of it, but because of it. What have been some highlights for you about hosting the podcast? Was there a certain guest or conversation that really connected with you personally and why? You know, honestly, everyone, I, I try to connect with people on a deep human level as much as I can. I mean, Brad Jerzak is, is amazing. He is. Uh, Pete Enns is such a great guy. I mean, <laughs> he amazes me in the sense of he's like, you know, he's like the dad next door, you know, he, he's just. He's just the guy that you sit out in the back and maybe have a beer with on a, and smoke a cigar on a Saturday night and just talk about guy stuff. Right. And yet, you know, he's this Harvard and like Princeton trained PhD, never calls himself doctor. I mean, he's written commentary. If you could look at his bibliography and his contributions, you know, we're aware of his books, but he has written like deep high level commentaries on full books of the Bible with on Zondervan and been a contributor in Bible translation stuff. So he's no lightweight, but he's just so down to earth and he's so funny and he's so honest, but he's got this unique way of understanding and reading and love for, for scripture. And he's been through his own deconstruction journey. You know, I think of, I think of a, a of a woman that's here in, in my area, Brandy Kellett, who was brought up in, over in East Tennessee, uh, in Knoxville. And, you know, just has this amazing understanding. She, she grew up and because of her experience, you know, went to school in Miami, just had this awakening of her own and got this degree in like post-colonial Caribbean studies and, and her whole mission in life and, and, and her journey of faith has brought her to you know, some real social justice issues that are really compelling. She's very informed and comes from a place that, you know, she puts her 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 practice. You know, the rubber hits the road, and 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 she does it. You know, she's a she's adopted a, a little girl from Africa. Her children uh, integrate into the inner city, and really trying to be an example of, of what it means to live social justice and not just talk about it or yell about it. So people like that really interest me because they're challenging to myself. They get me to look in my own mirrors. People who have a deep, profound sense of self-awareness. Some of my guests have. My, my interview with you is fascinating. Is you know, Here's a guy who comes from the Bible Belt and comes from a conservative upbringing and things are going along just fine in his church. And all of a sudden, through circumstances and life and makes a 180 degree turn. Those stories are fascinating to me. And I, and I want to explore them and learn and, and let the rest of the world he hear them. And I guess the other thing I would say, Jason, is like all of us, and I, it sounds kind of cliche, is I just want to provide a safe place for people to listen, to engage, to, to share, and just let them know they're not alone in their journey and in their struggles and their doubts that, Maybe one more podcast upon one more podcast will give them the opportunity to say, 
hey, there's people out there like me. I'm not crazy. There is life after this. I'll make it through my struggles. There's hope. There's a bigger way of, of thinking and learning. And I'm not going to go to hell if I don't believe the same way. Just all those things is just providing safe places. Who would you most like to interview that you haven't had on thus far? Uh, Father Richard Rohr. I would love I would love yeah. to ask him some things that I have not heard. I, I've probably listened to a majority of interviews by him, but he's just such a fascinating man to me and has helped and brought healing and hope and new ways of thinking and loving inside a very orthodox kind of stream of faith, but just just so, so uh, loving and kind and, and, and just such a different way of looking at, at life and scripture and truth. I would love to, I'd love to pick his brain about some things, uh, just to know more about who is he and what was it like growing up and what do you struggle with the most? And, you know, what, what was your point of, of great pain or great love? Just a lot of those questions that I'd, I'd love to interview. I hope you get the opportunity to do that. I'd love to hear that interview. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Who, who's someone that, that you would love to interview? I think probably Paul Young, mm. Brian Zond, I would love to talk to. Um, and, and people will come to me and say, hey, I, I actually know Brian. You know, I can make an introduction. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ready yet. I feel like there's uh, <laughs> I feel like there's something that I will wish that I would have asked that I haven't thought of yet. And so I, I try to be sensitive on timing on these things as well. Yeah, I do hope you get to talk to Father Richard because that would be fascinating. What other projects are you working on right now besides the podcast? You mentioned a book before we went on the air that sounded really interesting. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, in this, I'm about twenty five, twenty six uh, episodes into my podcast, and you know, as a, as someone who loves communication and who's actually done that for a living, has helped help other clients and businesses and organizations communicate more effectively. I'm sitting here going, you know what? These are all fascinating stories. And this whole idea of rumors of grace, I I'm thinking about, and I'm starting to put together the structure around a book idea to take some of these different interviews and individuals and their stories and wrap them around some of my own experiences and lessons. So a book, whether it's called Rumors of Grace or Rumors of Love or Rumors of Hope, whatever it might be, um, people who have found their journey that can parallel mine and, and I can kind of tell my story in the context of, of other people' experiences. So, for instance, talking about uh, my call to, to what I believed was, was full-time ministry and where that journey took me, and then like overlay it with you know, some pieces of maybe your journey. That could be a chapter and talk about uh, struggling through the death of dreams uh, and maybe overlay that with Brad Jerzak's journey. These are all ideas that I'm bouncing around to put into a book form because it's one thing to talk about your own personal experiences and beliefs and kind of chalk it up of, well, that's just one guy's, one guy's interpretation or experience. But there does seem to be a theme or a stream that's going on today amongst different people that are on this faith journey. And there's some unifying factors, and some of them are universal and as old as humanity itself. But then there's some that tend to be as a result of where we find ourselves today and, and in our culture and, and, and where we are in this whole evolution of church that I think could be put into a format that helps people to 
kind of see the bigger picture of what's really going on. So, so that's, that's something I'm starting to lay the structure out on. Well, Bob, you've been so gracious with your time today, and I really appreciate that. Would you tell our listeners how they can find you, connect with your work online before you go? Yeah, well, you can search any podcast uh, tool that you use, any platform. Just search Rumors of Grace with Bob Hutchins, H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S, rumorsofgrace.com. I've thrown up just a simple website for the podcast, and you can contact me and reach out to me there. My Instagram is B-W Hutchins, H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S, B as in boy, W, Hutchins. That's on Instagram, and you can just look me up by my name on other platforms. Wonderful. Friends, you need to check out the Rumors of Grace podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Bob is among the very best hosts in the genre, and his guests are always enlightening and thought-provoking. Bob asks smart, insightful questions, and he brings out the very best in his guests. And Bob, I really appreciate your time today, and I'm excited about the book that you're working on, and I hope you'll come back and talk to us about it when you get it ready for release. Absolutely. I would, I would love to. And Jason, thank you for your work and your journey. And thanks for, uh, thanks for walking it out in public like you do. Well, it's been, it's great to, uh, get a chance to hang out with somebody like you who's had a real similar journey. And, and once again, the therapy has been good for me today. (laughs) And so I appreciate your time so much. God bless you, brother. I love you. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.